You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Woo-hoo! Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. I believe that this nation should commit itself to landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. After thousands of years gazing up in the heavens and dreaming of this day, a man is about to set foot on the moon. Across the world, people wait with bated breath. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a live signal. There he is. The shock across the nation at this event is just indescribable. Soviet cosmonaut has become the first to set foot on the moon. We thought it was about being first. Turns out the stakes are much bigger than that. Get back to work. We're still in this thing. Change your plans, gentlemen. There is water on the moon. This race will be ours to fight for and to win. And we are not stopping there. Moon lab. We need to accelerate the base. You're going to be an astronaut candidate. No, I'm going to be an astronaut. We'll go to Mars, Saturn, the stars, the galaxy. Drifting right. Watch it. Eagle, this is Houston. Do you copy? This is not the end of the race. We must keep our eyes to the future. Three, two. Hey there, Earth Station One Purple. How you doing? Welcome to another episode. And we have a great one for you. We are talking about the series For All Mankind. It's, we're talking about all three seasons, and we'll even maybe hint at where the fourth season's going to go and everything towards the end of this. It should be a ton of fun to talk about the alternate what-if type story, and it's a great, great premise. If you haven't seen it, it's a show on Apple+, Plus, and I was like, this is a show I've been waiting for most of my life because I've been a freak of the space agency and the space race ever since I was a little kid. And, you know, if I wasn't a graphic designer, I had already had hopes of maybe doing something with NASA and everything. So this is totally cool to see the behind the scenes, to see all kinds of different, you know, views of this. And it's pretty cool. And we got a great crew to talk about it. Of course, Mr. Mike Gordon is here. Howdy. You know, so he is, he's the astronaut from Apollo 13 who, you know, said, Houston, we do have a problem. So <laughs> how are you this week, sir? I am peachy keen as well. And uh, yeah, I was late to the party on this one. So I jammed all three episodes into the last four days. 
three seasons, not three episodes. Oh yes, right. Sorry. <laughs> 30, 30 episodes in a, into uh, yeah into Man, four days. So. Sleep is overrated anyway, dude. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and it's high quality stuff, so it's pretty cool. We got a great crew also here to join us. Welcome back to the show, Amy Chandler. Hi, thanks for having me back. Or should we say hi, Bob? Hi, Bob. And we also have Matthew Kressel. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. And Gary Mitchell. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. So we are ready to talk all about this. We would love to hear from you guys at home. Feedback at Earth Station One is the best way to get in touch with us. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. And, you know, click on the little bell also. Because we're not coming out twice a week now. So, you know what? It's always great for us to be able to talk to you and you guys find out when we have new videos available because we're going to keep pumping them out, folks. You never know what's going to be coming from our way. All right, Mr. Mike, you ready to go to space and beyond? Yeah, let's take that small step uh, into For All Mankind. Giant leap for all podcasters? I don't know. We'll just uh, let that go where it needs to go. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Let's, I don't know. As, uh, as I mentioned, uh, I was late to the party on this one. Not because I didn't know about it. Just because I just couldn't figure out how to make the time for it. And it is on Apple+. Plus. And by the way, if you haven't seen this, we will be spoiling the heck out of all the last three seasons. So uh, just keep that in mind as we go forward. So let's start with you, Amy. What were your thoughts? Like, how, when did you get on this, on board this show? And what were your expectations for it? Well, like you, I actually was to the party as well. Um, I had a couple of friends who said it was good. I knew nothing about it, but I trusted their judgment. So I just sat down, started watching it, and I was like, this is amazing. I was hooked from the first episode. That whole, what if premise, mm-hmm. you know, to do kind of a science fiction story, really, but very grounded in today's world. I was just, I just was totally fascinated by the idea and the character development. And you just, you don't know where it's going to go because it is an alternate history. You can't predict it. And so I was hooked from the beginning. I, yeah, I binged all three seasons really fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to do. Um, a lot of men on cliffhangers, so you just want to get right to the next one. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, Matthew, what about you? I imagine you were on board with this one from the beginning. Almost the very beginning, because, you know, as you may be able to tell from my wall here, <laughs> I am a lifelong space nerd, and not that anybody could see it uh, with the details, but I, I also love alternate history. In fact, I've got a Sidewise Award for my alternate history writing uh, a couple of years ago up on the wall over there. And I I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. I still live in the area. I'm down the road from the only place in the world with two Saturn V rockets. This is catnip to me. <laughs> um, so I was on board with it pretty quickly. I don't think I actually started watching it till March of 2020. So season one had already finished. And mm-hmm. of course, the pandemic hit. And I was sitting at home and had nothing else to do. And then picked up seasons two and three as they aired. But absolutely catnip to me. Uh, Gary, what about you? Uh, I was I on board the minute I heard it was coming, and I heard the 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 name Ronald D. Moore. Nice, yes, absolutely. And the problem was being, you know, I didn't have Apple Plus and trying to find a way to get it. Now I finally was able to um, find a way to watch them about two months Inter- before intercept some transmissions. 
Exactly. <laughs> Russian spies. Um, so about two months before season three dropped, I binged right, with Jesso right through seasons one and two. And it, and just like Matthew and Amy, and you said that alternate history, one of the things I love, the space race, something I love, political intrigue, something I love. So, I mean, and it doesn't hurt that, you know, I'd still watch this even if it was uh, questionable quality, but the fact that it's fantastic just is like, oh, it's gravy. <laughs> Absolutely. Mike? Well, it's, it's interesting because I come from it a little bit different. I had heard about it, but I didn't have Apple Plus and mm -hmm. for the first season, but I was lucky enough to get it during the second season. A friend of mine who works for the military out in San Diego was also a huge fan of it, and he had been raving about it. But he said, caveat, before you watch the show and everything, watch the new version that they did of the right stuff on National Geographic because mm. it's the same format as For All Mankind. It's the same characters, a lot of them especially with NASA and everything. And it was just interesting to do that. So I went through and I watched because it's not a movie. It's a mini series that they did. It was more expanded out and it felt like it was just a for all mankind, especially the first season was a, a complete continuation. The characters were all the same. The even maybe one or two of the actors might have even been pulled through and it was interesting to see that and alternate history come on this is a what if story and it was fascinating to see because you had you know so many of names that you're familiar with you had you know everything like you know you had ed baldwin who's a real person you had molly dodd who's a real person you had all these characters, and then, of course, the Apollo astronauts and some of the others. You even had Sally Ride in the second season. It was just amazing. These are all names you're familiar with, you know. So it was just pretty amazing to see. And then, of course, the staff behind the scenes, not just the astronauts. And it was, you know, it was amazing. And I loved how they did tied in the newscasts and the presidents and, you know, they went off their own direction and everything. And it's a great premise why the what if story came about too, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. The, the sort of what if scenario, the alternate timeline, the sort of has this one thing changes and, you know, butterfly effect, right. It uh, has ripples throughout the entire future, right? As we know it. Um, in this case, uh, the, 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 the butterfly, the first flap is uh, the fact that uh, the Russians get to the moon first. Um, and, uh, but, and then but how they got there too, though, was and everything changes because of that. Right. So, um, uh, Amy, I'm going to start with you, and we're just going to get right into it. Um, with that being said, the premise of the show is things are going to change, like, and we see throughout the three seasons in the late '60s, early '70s, the '80s, and the '90s, all these things that have changed. Is there anything specific that you found the most interesting change out of all those things, just based on one thing? 
I think the um, the third episode of the first season, Nixon's Women, mm. I think is the most obvious change in how um, it really, I think it came down to ego. The Russians beat us in terms of getting to the moon first, but they also put a woman in space and on the moon first as well. So then Nixon wanted to catch up, not just to the space race, but also for PR purposes, getting women in the space program. And so obviously getting women involved at such a high level so early, I think was um, a huge divergence for the show. And, and well, yeah, for, for reality. And that leads ultimately in the third season to a woman president. Absolutely. Um, and I, so the women. You can and, draw a direct line to and, that. And let's point out a Republican woman <laughs> president, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a, that's a leap that I wasn't expecting. Um, you know, um, I think also. The fact that the Cold War continues for decades and decades was something that really uh, surprised me as well. Or not surprised me, but I just found like, wow, that's really interesting. If if the Russians get there first, the race continues even more so. Matthew, was there something about this premise that in its execution with the series that, that really struck you as interesting? I mean, there's a whole list of things, but uh, just going to pick one off the top of its hand. You mentioned the first butterflies the Russians get to the moon first. That's the first obvious change. But as we discover as the series goes on and indeed makes it actually appears on screen during season two is the reason they get there first is Sergei Korolev lives. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, he was the chief known by by the Soviets knew him as the chief designer, because unlike Werner von Braun, who pops up in the first couple episodes of the series, the Russians basically kept the heads of their program kind of behind the scenes. And Korolev actually died in real life in 1966 on an operating table from a botched operation. And what's interesting is, is that there's a hint of that, that that's what changed throughout the first season. But it's only when we meet him, actually get to meet him. Danielle, in fact, gets to meet him in the second season and him appearing. And the actor they cast looks very much like him. So it was one of those aha moments for me. And it was like, well, that's a really interesting sort of twist to have done. And to show him still in charge of the program almost 20 years after he died in real life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we don't even really get to see the uh, and I think this is a Ron Moore staple, really, that we that the that the Soviets are pretty much a mystery for, I think, the whole for, first season. Right. We don't really mm-hmm. get to see their side of things until uh, until season two, I think. Yeah. And that's also reflective of the real life space race. I mean, there was uh, every late last year inspired by the third season i read james oberg's book red star in orbit that was published in the early 80s which was sort of this wonderful compendium of what we knew about the soviet space program and it's amazing what he what we were able to work out from those little bits and pieces that got out but also incredible that we got so much wrong about their capabilities and what they were doing and that's that too and just sort of capturing that i think is a wonderful thing that the series does but also puts its own spin on it in terms of its own dramatic storytelling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we've seen now how much at the time the cia and other intelligence agencies both under and overplayed the soviets because they needed them to be a threat so that they'd get funding But they also needed to be, well, no, but we can handle it. So they're not really a threat. And so it was, it's interesting to go now and see what's been declassified or come out. 
in that way of where we under and over and where we knowingly over and we're playing overplayed them, yeah. their hands. Yeah, absolutely. Gary, was there something else about the series that really struck you as as a as an interesting change with what is re- what reality played out? The biggest one for me kind of ties into that of the fact that the Russian economy didn't implode. I still want to know how that happened because that's the main reason we kind of beat them out is the Russian economy spiraled and they overspent themselves. Um, but I'm reminded of the thing people say about history, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Hmm. And this show very much does that. Like Lewinsky scandal still happens, but mm-hmm. not Lewinsky and Clinton. We get all these things like Chappaquiddick doesn't happen. Uh, Reagan becomes president in 76. I mean, there are so many just, for me, it's not one big thing. It's all the little things and how they compound each other and become like this snowball effect. It it is really interesting how certain things still happen Mm. and certain things don't that you were, you, you don't exactly, I mean, they don't explain why, for example, Mm -hmm. they don't explain why uh, John Lennon doesn't get killed. They don't explain, <laughs> right? They they don't they, but yet they take the liberty to say that okay, well, he in this universe he survives. Mm-hmm. He survives, but the Pope gets assassinated. But the Pope, right? Gets assassinated, right? Yeah. So, um, as does yeah, Margaret um, Thatcher. Yes, exactly. Um, the Challenger disaster does not happen in this timeline. No, we um, prevent it. I don't think. I don't Apollo think Apollo thirteen doesn't happen either. Right. I don't. I don't know. We just get. I don't think over. AIDS happens in this timeline, and I'm really curious as to why that doesn't happen. I thought it uh, did. Maybe they're saving that for the next season. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, it could be. I would imagine that if they're going to do. I mean, if they're going to go up to you know certainly current times or whatever. I mean, definitely uh, some sort of pandemic is going to hit mm-hmm. at some point because oh, this, yeah. this timeline has not been hit by a pandemic yet. But also, but also you have, instead of the Oklahoma city bombing, you have the Houston bombing instead right. at right. the end of the third season. Yeah, I was going to bring that. Yeah. That one was like, Oh crap. When I made that correlation of what that, mm-hmm. what that was. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the other little implications, like the lithium batteries destroying oil jobs, which leads to that. Right. Right. Mike, what is something else about the series, a change, a radical change that happens in our society or the world because of that? Well, it's interesting because like everyone's saying, the Cold War continues and the the Cold War continues because the space race, you know, continues because we're in constant competition with the Russians all through the first two seasons. But also you have coming into it private industry, like a Bill Gates, yeah. Elon Musk type character, and which makes perfect sense for where they're at. And there's so much interesting stuff that you see on this, you know, the development of a space station, of nuclear rockets, of, you know, nuclear powered rockets, I should say, you know, for, you know, going into space. And then you have, it's just interesting because you don't, you have a space shuttle, but not like the space shuttles we had in our timeline. And it's also interesting how, you know, politically, you know, Nixon doesn't go down 
like water with mm-hmm. Watergate and such. He doesn't right. lose his, you know, Ted Kennedy becomes a force earlier on. And it's just, you know, just the little things right there you're seeing. And I loved how they played it. They had their timelines typed out, you know, plotted out with different characters and different people. And not I'm not just talking the main characters on the show, people in the background with the politics, with celebrities, with, you know, world leaders and mm-hmm. even world events that some were still happening as is. But it was because it was interesting because here in the United States, people got bored of the space race, um, mm-hmm. probably starting around 1973. And, you know, that's the last time man had been on the moon because they weren't getting the ratings. People were not as interested. And that's where like the United States space program went away from the exploration and such more towards going towards the space shuttle and such. They left all exploration for robots and, you know, stuff like Voyager and, you know, going out to explore the outer solar system with robots, but not with people where in this timeline that from the TV show, people are all, we're the explorers. We're the ones who are going to be setting a colony on the moon. Then we're going to go out to Mars and wherever next they're going to go in the next season. It'll be very interesting to see. If yeah, we don't it, blow ourselves up first. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, uh, uh, yeah. I think the, 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 the premise that I find the most interesting is that, you know, if the Russians got there first, then it would be a constant, uh, like thorn in our side that we would not give up the space program. We would not give up mm-hmm. the moon. We would not get, we would continue, continue, continue. And I think certainly I'm not sure how old a lot of you guys are, but it's certainly for Mike and I who, you know, were around in the early, early days of uh, moon landings and everything like that. I mean, I think we just thought it was going to be a given that we were going to continue to go to the moon. And then as Mike's pointed out, we stopped. And mm-hmm. it it's still to this day just shakes my core that I'm like, I can't believe we haven't been to the moon in 50 years. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's like, what, what, why? Like now, granted, you know, I don't think we found anything there of significant note that made us like want to go back a lot. But I think in this, I think in this, they don't they find something that they're kind of like, well, uh, they, well, they, they find water. Like they, this they is find the water. water. Yeah. The water and the lithium. Right. And the they, lithium is more important, though, I think, right? Because we found yeah. the water, right? Well, we found it 30 years after Apollo ended. It. it wasn't found until the early gotcha. 90s gotcha. with the Lunar Prospector. So the idea is that because the space race continues, all of these things start happening uh, ahead of yeah. time. I mean, that's the whole reason we stopped going to the moon is, is, as a former NASA historian said, is that, you know, we set the moon as a goal. We got there. We rang the bell and everything right. the public said it's all over. We're done. Right. right. Exactly. But right. if if the Soviets get there first, then we there's no bell for us to ring. We have to keep going until we can finally ring a bell, which mm-hmm. we well, hope is going to be Mars. Right. And it's, but, it, but well, Because it's, it's really interesting, though. Sorry, Gary. But um, a lot of students these days don't even know that the Soviets never made it to the moon. They thought, you know, they, you know, peop, a lot of students William's age and such think the Russians made it after us. They but we're the only ones who have set United States is the only humans that have set foot on the ground. The Other countries, men. yeah, exactly. Only no, men. no women have set foot on the moon. Not until this next 
Not yet. Not yet. It's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. It's coming. We're it's coming. close. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, but it's interesting because we had mentioned that, you know, yes, they focus also on women, you know, being in the space program earlier than in reality. But also you also have minorities in the space mm-hmm. program sooner than you do in our reality, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things I love about this show and is that they tackle things like this because part of it is the part of the reason we stopped going is like you said, we got there, we rang the bell, we were done. Whereas in this world, it's the, it's that competition and Americans don't like to be second. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody's noticed that. We don't like being, we don't like being second to ourselves. I, I, Come on. You know what? I'm just so and, devastated that I wasn't the first one to say that. Yes. America. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was the main reason the sh- in the show they keep going. And the fact that they address that and bring it up, and it is a plot point for a lot of these characters of that, sh- you know, American exceptionalism, because we didn't get there first, that belief is shaken. And people are dealing with the fact that we didn't get there first. What does that mean about us? And that pushes some people to take risks they shouldn't take, to do things they shouldn't do. Um, and I like the fact they play with the psychology of that and they play with the psychology of the minorities, of the women, of uh, LGBTQ rights, that this is – they don't sugarcoat how it was. You know, this is not an idealized, well, gosh, we all got along. We just didn't get to the moon first. It's like, <laughs> no, there were some misogynistic, homophobic people. <laughs> yeah, 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 and still are. Um uh, as the series continues. I mean, it's it's not mm-hmm. like it goes away. Yeah. Right. I mean, Mike, you mentioned the right stuff, the, the National Geographic Disney Plus version of that. And that's been, in, was in the forefront of my mind too, watching this is that I think it'd be very easy as much as it's about space and it's about all the, the dreams of Apollo, as it were, that came to pass. Um, that in, you know, in reality, we were left very much as the orphans of Apollo by the fact that all these dreams for moon bases, trips to Mars, space stations, you name it, didn't come to pass. And the series, you know, presents all of that in its glory. It's also willing to acknowledge that the past was a very imperfect place. And I think that that's one of the things that is to the benefit of the show. Oh, now, it, I, I have noticed it does irk some critics um, for the fact that it does that and the fact that it doesn't present an idealized version of the past. But I, I think it's much like the right stuff. It is that kind of nostalgia tempered with a sense of reality and a sense of, well, what did we not know at the time? And also through the lens of saying, in hindsight, things may not have been the greatest. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. of the things I love about the show is things are not perfect either. Mm-hmm. You have disasters You from, you know, the the kill the not the killing but the the fire on the the experimental um Mm -hmm. test material in this third episode with the female astronauts and then you have you know them getting stranded on the moon and then you also you know you have all these different things that happen in real life too you have the accidents up on with the spaceships and you have you know, it's just, it's amazing to see that, you know, crap happens and it's going to happen. And mm-hmm. I think when Challenger exploded, I think it took the wind out of the United States, you know, sales mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, and, sure. and people have to realize 
when we were doing covered wagons to the west coast of the United States, there were accidents and, you know, disasters when we, we Titanic or, you know, or even further back colonies that disappeared in, you know, when they discovered the new world and, you know, diseases and stuff like that, it's going to happen. And I love that the show shows that, you know, it's not Star Trek where everything is perfect. Right. And I love that on an individual level, the characters are flawed as well. They're they're perfectly imperfect too. Decisions based on fear or ego or anger. And there are consequences to those mistakes. And I I love that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some some people do some really stupid things on this show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I want to say that the performances of these flawed people is like none of these people are caricatures. I buy all of them. Absolutely. Um, And I really want to commend Joel Kinnaman because before this show, I thought he was eh. I thought he was okay, but I was not really impressed with him not as an a, actor. Not a Rick Flag fan, are we? Not from the first Suicide Squad <laughs> movie, no. The second one, though, and with this show, is when I went, holy crap, this guy's good. Give him the right material, and he's really good. His character through the whole – I mean, the it's in the second season when – the daughter says, I'm going to go to Annapolis, and he flies into that rage and then has that breakdown. That is one of the most intense scenes, and also seeing someone in the 70s who never had therapy and men don't talk and watching him have that breakdown and the PTSD and all that come out was just I needed like a break after that show, that episode. I was like, okay, I need to. <laughs> well, you know, for them to kill off his son while he was off off planet, mm. that was just heartbreaking. And yeah, so, absolutely. Well, you don't kill the kids. No, and exactly. They did. <laughs> they did. Oh, they they did. <laughs> they did. They went there. <laughs> it's true. They did oh, go there. God. Yeah, I thought. I thought for sure. Yeah, I it was. I was surprised by that too. Um, uh, it certainly opens the door for uh, us to talk about the characters. Some of them don't last all through the seasons, but I think there's a solid, and not a, there's no huge names here. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no like easily recognizable folks. I don't think, I mean, there was only watching this. I think there was only a, maybe a handful of actors that I was familiar with, with uh, Chantel Van Staten being, Staten being the only one that I really knew of, of any substance. And she, as Karen Baldwin, his wife is, is amazing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, really sad to see her end at the end of season three. Um but uh, Amy, what's a, what's another character that, that has drawn you in to this show? Oh, I loved Molly Cobb. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought she was great. <laughs> I, I I loved her for her arrogance. You know, at the beginning, I mean, she was she was quite arrogant, just as much as Ed or Gordo or any of those other people. But watching her grow as a person, and then um, and her heroism, where and then she loses her eyesight, and then some struggle around that. And of course, you know, when she, you know, she dies at the end, it's just watching that whole arc and how she grew as a person. 
that was that was really something to see. And then, of course, um, you were just talking about famous names. I was looking at her going, what do I know her from? And I was like, oh, she's Penny from Lost. I know. I know. <laughs> I did the same thing. I think she was the only one I recognized right off the bat, too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so it was great seeing her being somebody completely different from what I'm used to seeing, too. I thought she did an amazing job with that character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, any uh, any of the characters uh, stand out for you? Marco. It's got to be Marco. And I I sort of recognized Ren Schmidt from she was in a, a documentary, docudrama series, I should say, on Hulu called The Looming Tower about the lead up to 9-11. She played uh, a CIA person in that. So I knew her work from that and kind of seeing her in this. And for me, it's been fascinating watching her journey from this up-and-comer idealist uh, who kind of enters NASA and kind of has to deal with sort of late 60s sexism and whatnot. And, you know, can you have a woman in mission control? And watching her sort of rising through the ranks of NASA, but also watching that idealism get chipped away piece mm. by piece until in season three, she does something that's dang near unforgivable. And it leaves her at the end of that season in a very interesting place that I have to admit, it, it, there's, I'm, I'm very curious for season four anyways, because I love this show, but I'm particularly curious to know how they're going to handle her in this, in this new season. Yeah, I, I do believe season four is going to be subtitled Margot Lives. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, she's been amazing too. I mean, there's been only really a few of them that have really held this series together. And of course, every, every season opens with her, you know, we see her waking up and her going into her office and how her office has changed and how, like, you know, how her routines have changed and everything like that. But she's still, she's still Margot. But as you say, there's a lot of things that have been put on her as, yeah. as the years have gone on. And I'm not just talking about weight. Um, <laughs> I, Gary, what about you? What's uh, what's uh, another character that stood out for you? Well, I've already done my Ed Baldwin gushing, so I will actually switch <laughs> to um, Gordo and Tracy, nice. and Gordo's arc especially. Oh yeah, of uh, going to the moon, his, cracking up, coming back to Earth, dealing with it, and then that heroic. I'm a I am a sucker for a heroic sacrifice. <laughs> Uh, in a story and the two of them basically knowing, yeah, we have to do this and we're probably going to die and doing it anyway. Oh, and when they, I were, had that, when they that, were wrapping themselves in duct tape and oh, that yeah. was just heartbreaking. Yeah. And now you just hold out that sliver of hope that, yeah, maybe they'll do it. No, it, realism smacks you. <laughs> Open the door and they are dead as doornails. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, that is, that was a big surprise. I did, I did not expect them to kill off those two characters because they'd been so central to the series, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but then again, as you point out, their sacrifice would have meant nothing if they had, if they just, you know, said, oh, we're alive, you know, like, uh, yeah. Uh, I love the statue too, by the way. The statue is great. So, I'm going to have, that, I'm gonna have statue, that installed in my backyard. There you go. <laughs> and, and just Jimmy also, I also want to touch on Jimmy because his arc in season three of just trying to find people to connect with and how he's used by the radicals mm -hmm. is heartbreaking because you see it coming. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know who these people are. You know what they're like. And the fact that the show, again, is like it gets so close to, oh, he's going to stop him in time. Mm. <laughs> but but then you also you also have Danny, you know, their other son, 
who yeah. Yeah, Danny turns out is to be... a class A asshole. Like yes. he yes. is like I have no sympathy for that kid. I can't. I can't. Mm-mm. He's he's a mess. Yeah. yeah, he he is a mess. Yeah, it is. I, it... I I mean I love Ed for trying to give him a second chance, third chance, and fourth chance. Yeah, how many chances do you? But give he's the not kid? saying he never saw Danny for who Danny was. He had right. some idealized version. Either he was a well, surrogate Shane, or it was. I don't know. I, well, I don't I, know. I th- I, th- well, I definitely I think, think right. it was I, the surrogate I, Shane thing. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. It's definitely that. It's like this is he what he hoped his son would grow up into. And, mm-hmm. and Danny did well, save the day says, on the on the uh hotel up yeah, in space. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. even he says, you know, like I tried to be, you know, Shane because I I feel responsible for his death. I mm-hmm. I felt like taking his life, you know, I, I need to live up to him. Um, but yeah, that kid's a mess and I, I couldn't understand how Karen could have even remotely had the I entertained the idea of sleeping with him, and that was the worst mistake she's ever made in her entire. That was and just. Craziness. He's made some doozies. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, she does. Look, you're high. You're lonely. It's late. I. I mean, you know. She was not thinking that through. No, she did not think that through at all. I'm not guaranteeing that she regretted it for the next ten years. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not sure the show's writers thought through the consequences of it either i mean as a writer i know why that storyline is there yeah on the other hand i also looked at it as it was unfolding and cringed pretty much the entire time yeah because it 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 creates this like cloud this dark cloud that hangs over that character and you keep thinking all right he's gonna tell ed he's gonna tell ed he's gonna tell ed don't tell like even when they're about to die he's about to tell Ed. i'm like don't 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 no and, no and ed will just you know, he says, like it was me we're all thinking oh he's telling him now and it's and, and he actually you know confesses that he's the one that caused the the, the whole like yeah. landslide yeah or, no, landslide. yeah the whole the, moon slide the mars slide mars slide yeah mars that's quake, the, whatever. yeah yeah that's the one that's the biggest unforgivable for me is that yeah. he let that happen and then was gonna let the other guy take the fall for it yeah yep yeah yeah um yeah, I I'll be really curious. I mean, he's still alive. Uh obviously he's in uh sort of solitary confinement there now on Mars. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see in the next season. I mean, can this kid be redeemed? I don't know. I'm going to have a hard time with that. Or does he go crazy living in a North Korean space capsule for God knows how long? <laughs> he's never going to get better if Ed keeps trying to rescue him. So, oh, I mean, I know it was his fault. He's a grown man, but he should never have been there in the first place. In the I next series, him. Ed's yeah. going to be like 80, right? Like, Yeah. Oh, he has to be. Because <laughs> Ed, mean... ha- Ed had to be in his early 60s in this season, the last yeah. season. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah that, that kind of... Uh, that kind of stretched my believability that they would put somebody that old in 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 charge of things. At least but, they you know. aged Karen properly. Ed, they never really did. Yeah, and, they gave him some uh, some grace, you know. Well, yeah, really. I mean, you know, I don't really know that they ever ever really had faith in Ed. I think he was a hero from the old days. He was a nice space, you know. By this point, we're trying to monetize space at a high level. 
and probably having Ed out there was great for PR. Got more investors. Right. The ship practically runs itself, so we don't. He doesn't. He's just a figurehead, right? Yeah. Right. Right. And and then Dev took control away from Ed while they yep. were out there. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. he was never in control. So I don't think they ever really had uh, confidence in him as a leader to begin with. He mm-hmm. was just supposed to be the the pretty face on the poster, basically. Yeah, yeah, I think any any sway that he had was given to him because Karen was there. Yeah, yeah. and that that kind of leads to a question I'd like to ask: How everybody else feels about this? One of his big story arcs is that in the first season, he's the guy who almost made it to the moon and then yep. chickened out, or however you want well, to look at it. Went no, we this well NASA safe chickened out. That. He didn't chicken out. Yeah, right, right. Well, he he could have over. He I mean, he I, even he says I could have ordered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we get to Mars, the same thing happens. Right. True. And so how do you guys feel about that? Because I was like, that still doesn't quite sit 100% well with me. Uh, Ed Baldwin, history's, you know, ultimate second place winner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what he's going to have to live with. Uh, but he seems to, be, you know, I think because he made peace with it from the moon, I think he mm-hmm. was able to make peace, make that decision even easier for him to move on from that. I don't think it's going to haunt him. Uh, I think he's just he's made peace with it already. Um, but and it was got... it was still a competition for him to get down to the surface. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? He's not even second now; he's third. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. He's Although, backwards. <laughs> how great was it though that the Russian and the American tumbled to the Mars? <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was amazing. That was so well shot. That was that was so funny. Uh, especially oh, they that, tripped. Yeah, they tripped. They especially, tripped. The, the, especially the American commentators are like, or the yeah, the commentators are like, oh, they've decided to step at the same time. It's like, no, they didn't. They nope. didn't no, no. <laughs> they sure as heck did not. Exactly. Mike, what's a what's a character for you that uh, has really stood out in the show? Well, it's interesting because Ellen Waverly, we got to talk mm. about. You know, yeah. she was brought in as you know one of the Nixon girls and she her character just grew from there and grew and grew and grew and I loved what they did with bringing her in and you know that she was lesbian right from the very start and she had to hide it of course because of the era and also being in the military and I loved the scene where she was in space and she decided to tell her co-pilot to tell Deke. Yeah, yeah. Deke. And Deke was like, I don't you Deke. ever. Deke was awesome. Deke was mm-hmm. uh, well played. Um, the real guy, the real, uh, you know, person was a uh, pretty awesome uh, character too, but, um, but he was played really well in the series too. Mm-hmm. And it was just very interesting. And then for them to make her president, that she got into politics and, then you know and she had the closet marriage and it was just really really well done and go ahead i love the conversation she has in the first season with um the guy she marries to to cover it up and he says you've got to get better at hiding this (laughs) yeah 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 uh larry larry Larry. Larry. Yeah. yeah yeah And um, then good old Larry is what almost brought her down <laughs> as the president. Yeah, right. yeah. 
You know, yeah, my, because he can't be discreet. No. Yeah. You know, my only regret about them making her president is that in the 92 election, she runs against Bill Clinton and not John Glenn. <laughs> right. Mm, that would have oh, been man. awesome. Yeah, because yeah. it feels like they set that up in the first well, season because John Glenn pops up in Deke's office for that for that one scene in that episode, and it's like, okay, they're gonna they're gonna bring him back at some point, and no, nope. no, no, she pretty much takes his political position as the astronaut turned politician. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Larry, all throughout the because he's there in the first season and everything. Um, I'm like thinking, I'm like, man, that guy reminds me of Rob Codry. Man, that guy reminds me of Rob Codry. Oh, it's his brother. Like I finally, yeah, of course. Brother. Like, I was like, that's why. And then, but I still think of every time I see him, I'm like, oh, it's, it's kind of like Rob Codry, but not, but, uh, but he, he does a great job too. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a difficult role, I think. Uh, and he pulls mm-hmm. it off pretty well. Um, the, I also uh, want to give a, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was like, I also want to give a shout out to James Urbaniak is annoying FBI guy in the first season because I just love Dr. Venture. Oh yeah. And I thought he did the officious FBI guy oh. very well. Yes, yeah. he did. A little too good. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hate that guy. <laughs> but I'm surprised we also haven't talked about um now my brain fell out. Um that's okay. The lady from who the the immigrant. Oh, Alida. Oh, Alida, thank you. Alida. And I love because you I mean, see her in the very first episode as a yeah, little girl. Yeah. And yeah, well, she grew a lot too over the seasons too. Yes. Yeah, and I thought they made a great transition from her played by one actress in season one to a different actress in season two. I thought that was a nice handoff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not like. Uh, not like House of Dragons, where they switch like mid-season. And you're like, what? Like it's just so crazy to get over that. I mean, you need you need like kind of a whole season to be with somebody, I think, and then and then get replaced. But and, and don't uh, get I thought, they do they do time jumps in this, but they do it very well in this. Yeah. Show. Oh yeah. That's true. Yes, absolutely. Um, and most of the big time jumps happen from season to season, so I think that mm-hmm. that is really uh, a great way to do it too. Yeah, I think mid-season. I think three years is the longest jump they do yeah in mid mid show yeah. yeah well season one takes takes place over the course of like five years whereas the other mm-hmm. two are kind of like more like three or four i think yes mm-hmm. the second season's entirely in 1983 which i think bogs it down kind of pacing wise at times mm-hmm. yeah but it, in season three they kind of found a nice medium between the two and that it bounces you know there's sometimes six months to a year between the events and episodes of season three so that you know by the point midway through the season they can already be on bars whereas you know i could imagine and if it was season one or season two getting to bars would have been the, the end whole season been the season finale yeah. and instead it's literally half the story of the season yeah i think you know i mean obviously they have to compress things so i mean they make it seem like going to the moon is like takes like an afternoon when obviously it's going to take a lot longer than that and to going to mars even more so oh very much so. um uh so you're kind of like you know i mean they do a good job third season i think you know obviously when they when they show uh uh Ed's daughter's pregnancy, like uh, mm-hmm. you know, developing, you're kind of like, okay, t- time has passed here. Well, exactly. That's why when yeah. I when they found uh, the Korean, I was kind of like, at first I was confused. I'm like, when did he land? And I'm like, how has he stayed there alive for like months and months and months uh, on just like little cans of food? 
<laughs> because superior Korean canned food technology. I guess so, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. Where there's a will, there's usually a dead body. <laughs> yes. You know, and TV writers can do what they want. I mean... That also that's... makes me think, how many of them did they send up there? And how many of them, you know, mm. are laying in their, sh- you know, their tin cans dead? Yeah. yeah. We know there's at or... least two because we see his co-pilot die in the crash. Right. So mm-hmm. they sent enough oh, food yeah. for two people. About that. You mean they're all, a- are, they're all man? Yeah. 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 There's like 500 cur- poor North Koreans floating in space or crashed on Mars. Yeah. I, did uh, lo- oh, I, did, I did love the effects they did, though, for the three ships in space was just awesome. Oh, this, on the, the race. space disaster. Yeah. When the when the Russian ship goes and almost takes out the American ship or the NASA ship yeah. is one of the most tense, especially I feel so bad for the one whose tether is stuck and they just see the ship rolling toward oh, them. And yeah. Like, yeah, I'm dead. There's nothing I can do. Nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, that's a great segue, guys, because I wanted to also I mean, the cast and the characters are great. But the other, I think, big, big, big uh, component to this series that makes it so fun to watch are the effects. Oh, um, yeah. God, yes. The effects that, uh, you know, um, I think uh, when uh, ILM got involved and did the effects for Goodnight Oppie um, and uh, some other, I think they did some work for Nova as well. They really set the bar as far as like realistic, you know, space exploration type effects. And man, everything feels legit on this show. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel fantastic. Uh, maybe the space station stuff a little bit. Of course, it's influenced by 2001, but it would mm-hmm. be, right? Like in real life, it would be. Um, but I mean, it 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 still strikes me as amazing to see these effects because they seem like they could be right out of like real footage. Oh, yeah. Very much so. And it's it's just amazing. You know, f- literally from when you had them flying the rocket ship to attack the Russian base and they were doing, you know, flay the Valkyries. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and, you know, and it was just every scene, the scenes where the astronauts are on the moon and there's a cosmic storm coming. And that was just awesome. And just, and then the space station itself, and you know how they expanded it and they just kept on building out to it and it's just it was very logical and it was it was just great to see yeah the disasters all seem like they have weight to them mm-hmm. um and that's largely due to the effects i mean most of that stuff is all cg um and like you have to remind yourself none of this is real like none of this is yeah. actually uh, uh, you know happened at all not even models right like they're just all uh computers but they're they're so well designed um mm-hmm. and i know that they're mostly based on you know real concepts even yeah, I mean, a lot of it's drawing from stuff that's been drawn up over the years by either nasa itself or by various nasa of contractors over the years you know the the initial design of jamestown is based on an actual proposal i think was put up by bell labs the in the late 60s as part of uh, the wonderfully titled apollo applications project um and also the version of skylab that we see at the start of season two is based on one of the original mm-hmm. designs for for that as well 
And, mm-hmm. you know, it's as a kid of the – I was born in 88, so I'm a kid of the 90s, and the shuttle was the big thing. Right. And so much of season two is based around seeing the shuttle, not just the, the shuttles we do, but also Pathfinder. Right. And mm-hmm. there's, there's few things that have given me as much joy from TV in the last few years as watching Pathfinder take flight. The well, first it's, it, but it's interesting because oh. even the giant rockets that were they had to launch from the ocean oh, that that was so amazing. Yeah, yeah. The, those are legit. They those were on the drawing board yeah. or anything. Those, they were planned. Yeah, and mm-hmm. everything. And I love that there's a re- there's a brief reference in one of the newscasts at the end of season two that they're built just down the road from me here in Huntsville. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's. That's really what makes it work, though, is that, that it is sci-fi, but it's that hard sci-fi. It's grounded. Yeah, yeah. You know, none of this, like you said, is like the Jonestown base felt real. The other, the the other rockets felt real, and like you said, Mike, the 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 only one that doesn't feel real, it's a hotel. Of course, they're gonna. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, they, I exactly. loved how I loved how they incorporated it into the corporate spaceship too. Yeah, yeah. which was awesome. The, uh, the the thing that I love most about this series, and we've kind of harped around it too, is um, and this is what I love about anything that I watch uh, that's space related, science related, NASA related. Um, whether it be there was a great series a number of years ago called From Earth to the Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, that I recommend strongly. If you like this series, uh, yeah, right stuff. Check that out, both the movie and the series. But also, From Earth to the Moon is a great, great series as well. Uh, last year, watching Goodnight Oppie, uh, watching uh, that that movie blew me away, that documentary. The thing I like about both of those are prime examples of, and that this series really nails is the challenges and the ingenuity of those scientists. Like they are constantly getting more and more challenges and they have to solve them very quickly with very, like, I mean, they have to MacGyver stuff, right? It's like, it's like a mess, mm-hmm. man, MacGyver. And yet uh, they come through almost, almost every time. And it's amazing to see that process. And it's a different kind of heroism. I mean, we get, you know, we get Ed, and 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 the astronauts and yes they are they are like the the stereotypical like heroes that we wanted to be when we were little like oh i want to be an Mm -hmm. astronaut but these scientists i love the fact this show really promotes that kind of thinking that kind of problem solving and that kind of heroism i think uh you guys feel that same way too maybe (laughs) <laughs> no, absolutely absolutely mike usa 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 yeah. no no no, no it, not it, just the usa but i mean like no, the fact that they the, all the come together right yeah. yeah every time they get thrown I, and it's a trope that i love especially because like you said this really happens you know in apollo 13 or in this show anytime where the the engineers all run in with a bunch of crap and go we have to make this do this yeah and they find a way to do it and that's always fascinating stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was the Santa Varies, which is the episode where they get buried in the landslide. And you get the mosaic of everybody, whether they're in, whether they're in Houston or they're on, you know, the, the other team on Mars trying to find them. And, of course, Ed, Ed and um, 
Danny buried. And it was just kind of that wonderful kind of patchwork mosaic of things. It reminded me a lot of um, Arthur C. Clarke's The Fall of Moon Dust, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is the same thing, where there's a disaster. And you see not just the people affected by the disaster, but the people trying to rescue them and the people on Earth trying to put it all together. And it's, it's that mm-hmm. wonderful kind of sense. I mean, that's sort of a, what, that episode alone. It's a fantastic hour of television, but I think that in itself is this kind of wonderful um, – Ah, I had the word and then I lost it. Um, but it's a wonderful Far sort of course bring- on our show. It's okay. Yeah, but it just sort of wonderfully brings together sort of all of these elements that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, to, to quote Matt Damon, so- we have to science the mm out of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and how um, everything is so high stakes. Like um, when I think it was Apollo 24 with Ellen and Deke and they were running out of fuel and they needed to like burn the engines for a certain amount of seconds. And then they missed it by 30 feet, which doesn't seem like a big deal to us because we don't know. But because of the angle, that was going to send them thousands of kilometers off course. It's mm-hmm. just the precision and how there really is no room for error. And these people really do rise to that challenge. So I, I do love that whole aspirational, inspirational part of it. But these are real people. These are real scientists that are working on all these problems in, in real life and how do we get to the moon and how do we get to Mars? These are, these are real issues. And so I, I love getting to see that. I don't ever get to see that in my daily life. I don't know about you guys, but it's, <laughs> I, I'm excited to see that, you know, I'm excited to see the science and math and how it's all coming together. Absolutely. I think one of the most commonly used phrase in the series is we've only got one shot at this. all right maybe we got one and a half yeah (laughs) i mean that's the great thing about each of these season finales is is that it's crisis on top of crisis on top of crisis and no sooner do you solve one problem that another one's popped up and it's it it sort of adds to the sort of the i want to say the joy of it but more the edge of your seat sort of tenseness of you know and the fact that not every you know it's never a perfect ending not everybody gets through in one piece but it's Mm -hmm. watching that sort of determination and persistence that it's it is aspirational in a way in a a way that science fiction particularly these days doesn't seem to be but it's it's a wonderful in a way it's almost a throwback as as is the whole premise of the show in a way to another time and a different way of doing storytelling but i think that they're finding a way of presenting it you know finding a way of doing science fiction that's not a dystopia is Mm -hmm. you know something i will always be happy with and it's one of the things i think this show really excels at well, that's why the conclusion of season two is so good because we're at that brink of nuclear war yeah and then we get the handshake which makes everybody go okay maybe we don't have to kill each other there's a message of hope there that like you said is sorely lacking a lot these days yeah yeah a little kumbaya moment um for sure uh all right so uh real quick because we're, we're damn out of time so we only got one shot at this amy we'll start with you what do you want to see from season four i i want to know what's going to happen with margo um margo and sergey are they star class lovers was sergey on the up and up the whole time was he just always just working for the kgb what is elena going to do because her mentor has obviously side what's that going to affect elena so that whole storyline i'm what happens awesome awesome matthew Amy just took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I do what I can. All right. All right. Gary? Yeah, pretty much same thing. I want I want Aleda in charge of NASA. 
I, I want her in, I want her as flight. And I just, okay, what happened with the fallout from the presidency? What happened? You know, where are we now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, exactly. Cause Mike, what do you want to see? Well, it's going to be interesting because the last time you should saw Margo, it, she was all, because the show took place in 95, the last mm-hmm. season. And Margot was shown in 2003 being in the Soviet Union. So it's going to be interesting as the series going to be in the early 2000s then. And I'd like to see them setting up Mars bases or even maybe trying to explore the asteroid belt or even some of the Jupiter's moons, I think, in this next season. I think that might be ambitious, but... I definitely would love to see that for the season. Well, you know, I hear there's a monolith floating around there somewhere. Yeah. So, I've heard that. Uh, so, you know, it's possible that they could be uh, shooting for that. Yeah, I don't know where they could, like, where do they go from here? Like, they've reached Mars. Obviously, they want to build that up. What's next? Mm-hmm. I think I think what I'd like to see is uh, some sort of sign of of life somewhere mm. they find it on mars or some somewhere in space that's the big discovery because that's the real big thing i think that's the next step now we've gone pretty far but now what about because they kind of opened that door in the last season uh so i want to see that as well so well, it's gonna be curious because ron morris had come out and said that he had a five-year plan for this show so mm. it'll be interesting to see where he goes with it yeah, I mean, yeah, that would take him right up to present. Uh, so, uh, so that would be interesting. That would be very interesting. So, I'm on board. So, uh, and uh, yeah, so when season four drops, we'll be back here to talk all about it. So, thanks very much, guys, uh, and we will be back in a moment to close out the show. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. Well, any movies or TV shows that I was originally going to be planning to talk about with this week's blurb, I'm throwing that out the window because we have a lot of ground to cover with all the announcements coming out of Star Wars Celebration, which is the big Lucasfilm convention that was recently held in London. I wasn't originally expecting a lot out of this convention just because they'd so recently had another one figured they'd just give us a little bit more about the disney plus shows we already knew about however they have been announcing a whole nother batch of movies coming out and we got to see some sneak peeks at the upcoming disney plus series i think that ahsoka looks phenomenal so cool to see this character in live action and also get to see thrawn you know i didn't know if we would ever see this character in live action. And I'm so excited for even more people to get to meet him. And I just think it's hopefully going to be a great addition to the Star Wars live action universe. So really looking forward to that. In terms of the movies that were announced, not really surprised to see that Dave Filoni is getting his own Mandoverse movie. Dave Filoni is <clears throat> deeply tied to Lucasfilm and... 
a Jedi Padawan, if you will, to George Lucas. And so I feel like um, this movie was bound to happen eventually. Really excited for him and curious to see what he does. Um, James Mangold's movie about the dawn of the Jedi. I think that sounds awesome. It is one, though, that I will believe it when I see it because I feel like Lucasfilm has had the unfortunate habit of announcing projects and then canceling them later. Remember the supposed Star Wars project that was going to be helmed by the Game of Thrones guys? Well, Lucasfilm wishes you didn't remember it because it's one of just many that has been kind of swept under the rug. But I think if Indy 5 does well, we will definitely see that product come to fruition. And finally, I personally am really excited to see that Daisy Ridley is returning as Rey in a live action adventure. The fandom has not always treated Daisy Ridley very well, but I'm really grateful that she's aware of people like myself that really do love the character and want to see more of it. And I hope that uh, this film can heal some of the rifts in the fandom. I personally love the sequel trilogy. I know that not everybody did. So I just hope that this is a movie that can bring fans together because I'm really tired of the negativity and some of the infighting that's occurring in the Star Wars fandom. So yeah, I'm really excited to hear about all these projects and especially since Mandalorian season three hasn't been my most favorite. So but that could all change in the final two episodes and especially if we get a sneak peek at Thrawn. That's it for this week's box office buzz. If you want to head on over to the ESO podcast website, I've got a full-length blog with all of my thoughts about the Star Wars Celebration news. I'm George from the Metal Geeks. I just want to let you know if you're looking for a place where we can chat about the coolest and the geekiest of things, comic books, movies, especially heavy metal, then you're not looking for anything else except for our show, Metal Geeks, where I'm always right and Carrie sometimes right especially when it comes to movies we're there having a good time me dave and carrie talking about geeky stuff and metal i repeat metal meets geeky metal geeks So that's going to wrap up another episode of the earth station one podcast I want to thank our crew for being here matthew Thank you so much, sir. You made us a cat video tonight. It's awesome. Yes. Uh, thank you for having the unscheduled six hosts on the show a couple of times. Oh, it was awesome. Anything you want to promote or shout out about? Well, Colin Kostabras, the North Alabama Doctor Who convention I've been involved with, is coming back. We're doing one more this June, uh, 10th and 11th at the Holiday Inn at Research Park here in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, our guests so far include Eric and Eliza Roberts and John Peel, the novelist who's worked not just on Doctor Who, but also Star Wars, Star Trek. If it's a pop culture thing, he's probably written for it. And of course, uh, comic book artist Kelly Yates. So I hope you'll come join us there. Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to it. We will be joining you for it. Thank you very much. And of course, Amy Chandler, you are awesome. Thank you as always. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Anything you want to promote or shout out about? Uh, right now, I am knee deep in this last season of Picard, and it's not over yet, and I'm already sad, and um, I'm just prepared to cry all the tears. It's been such a good season. Um, so all my Trekkies out there, you know, are you with me? Because it's going to be rough. Any predictions what's behind the red door? Oh, my 
No idea. Okay. I have no idea. It's not good, though. No. Really? <laughs> it's not good. We got two more episodes, but yeah. Well, actually, by the time this goes live, we'll only have one because we'll be out on Thursday. So awesome. Right. And Mr. Gary Mitchell, last but never least, my friend. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I would be remiss if I did not promote the American Sci-Fi Classics track at Dragon Con. Ah! Where, of course, the ESO Network will be. You guys have got the ideas, right? Okay. For panels? Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a given. Yes. Uh, and, and I also want to promote uh, my horror podcast, a podcast of Amontillado. Um which has been a lot of fun. Episode 21 will have dropped by the time this airs, where we're examining episodes 7 and 8 of uh, the J Friday the 13th series. Uh, nice. So, uh, yeah. So if, if you like all things uh, dark and dreary and, and dreadful and a good wine, come down to the catacombs. <laughs> nice. We'll have a link to it up on our show notes, of course. And Mr. Mike and Gordon, we have made it through another one, my friend. We have, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? I do. I'm going to sort of piggyback on 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 Gary, if he doesn't mind. Uh, I uh, it is official. I uh, will be at Dragon Con in a guest capacity again this year. I am extremely honored, uh, very grateful for that opportunity. This will be my thirtieth consecutive Dragon Con. Uh, so uh, not always as a guest. But um, but I'm always there in some capacity. I love the con so much, uh, and I'm glad to do it. And uh, I can't wait to talk all about it uh, because next week we are recording, uh, I believe, the uh, Dragon Con report, the new episode. So plenty of stuff to to talk about on that one. I'm very excited. But uh, once again, very honored. Uh, it is really the highlight of my year to be part of it every year, and uh, I don't take it for granted. So thank you. Awesome. Congratulations, sir, for being a guest. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, my shout out. Two things. Um, sure, Mike Gordon will want to kick up into this one. We are going to be at South Carolina Comic Con this weekend. We had Robert on last time. Uh, it was a great conversation with Robert. And definitely if anywhere, anyone who's within 200 miles, 300 miles of Greenville, South Carolina, you have to be at the show. It is an amazing convention, and it's fun to see who they get, the guest-wise. And Mike and I will be there. Mike will have a Tiki Zombie table, and I will have an ESO Network table set up. Um, I can tell you now I'm going to be table 325. And, Mr. Mike, you think you are, what, 324? I am 225. 225. Yep, and we've got Peter in between us at 324. So. Exactly. So it's going to be. I a know ton it sounds weird with those numbers, but we're pretty much this. We're like in the same row. Yeah, there's a there's an alleyway between us, but that'll be okay. So that's, it should be. That's required by law. Of course, you know. Yeah, I think that went in the contract, didn't it? <laughs> exactly. One alleyway and a hundred tables between you. <laughs> you know what? That's fine by me. But it's going to be a ton of fun to see everybody. Um, South Carolina is one of my favorite cons every year. Robert and Michelle put on an amazing, amazing show. And the people they have, as we talked about it on the podcast two episodes ago, are amazing who come to the show. And, you know, it's not even that expensive to get tickets to the show and everything. And you know what? 
anyone who's in Atlanta, anyone who's in Charlotte, if you're in Knoxville, if you're in Asheville, you know, it's not that far to Greens, Greenville, South Carolina. And you know what? Definitely check it out. It'll be a fun time. And stop by and say howdy. You might get a certain gift or something. We're going to be giving away stuff this year. So it'll be awesome to see. So it should be cool. So check us out. And that is going to wrap up our episode this week. want to thank everybody for being here. Thank you, as always, for everybody who, you know, joins in with us um, each week. And you know what? Thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. Always remember, we couldn't do this here without you. If you want to support the podcast, please check out our Tee Public store and get some very cool ESO Network swag, including the new Wonder Warrior t-shirt. Also, remember, if you want to listen to our show before the rest of the world, why not join the ESO Network Patreon? For as little as a dollar a month, you could help support us here at Earth Station One and the ESO Network. Check out the ESO Network on Patreon.com. All you have to do is go to Patreon.com slash ESO Network. We want to hear from you, so please write us anytime at feedback at EarthStation1.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found. And now Earth Station One has our very own YouTube channel. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. Like and subscribe, like and subscribe, like and subscribe. On behalf of myself, Mr. Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Mr. Matthew Kressel, Mr. Gary Mitchell, and Miss Amy Chandler, thank you so, so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you here next time on Earth Station One. And last but not least, Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.